Spring is in the air on the New York Red Bulls radio network. The May edition of our Players Only podcast kicking it. We chat with defender Amro Tarek about growing up in Egypt, his playing days in Germany, and the goal-scoring celebration of a defender. The captain, Luis Robos, also stops by to talk about the season so far. Influential figures in his life and the latest on his home renovation. I'm Matt Harmon. This is Kicking It on the New York Red Bulls radio network. One of the heroes in the Red Bulls 3-2 win over the Galaxy over the course of the weekend. We are smack in the middle of a three-game homestand. Amro Tarek able to give us some time here. Amro, let's go to that game against Los Angeles because there was so much talk about it before the game with Ibrahimovic coming in, how the Red Bulls are going to respond, and the, the atmosphere in the arena and the stadium. It really made it an extremely fun game to watch. I would think a really fun game to play in and be a part of. Yeah, exactly. I think these kind of games are just waiting to play uh, during the season. LA is a big team. Of course, Zlatan is a big name and he's a top scorer now of the league. And so it's so exciting to play against them and to play against him. And the crowd was very good. So I think everything was positive. A lot of goals. It's good for the fans, but for us as defenders, But uh, hope uh, we got the three points. That's the most important thing. Two things uh, to, to talk to you about after that game. Number one, you score the goal, which was fantastic to get New York off to the, the quick start. How about the, the slide? I mean, the slide after the goal was perfect. Have you been – is that like defender thinking, if I score, what am I going to do after I score? I have to be honest with you. So I grew up in Egypt playing soccer and really have bad fields, you know, bad grass. So I, when I was young, I always see the players like me sliding after the score and I've never had the chance to do it, you know, because if you do it, my knee going to be like done, you know. So I was just like happy and wanted to try it. So this is a case of United States, good grass, yeah. Egypt, bad grass. You're never, yes. sure, you're not quite sure what your knees are going to look like after sliding on the field. Um, and then the, and then the second thing, and listen, I'm sure it was all in good fun back and forth. I did see you tweet and say, nice to see you to Zlatan as he was leaving uh, the metro area. So actually, this wasn't for Zlatan. This was for LA Galaxy because they kind of make fun when he scored and they say, welcome to Zlatan. And, you know, they even wait till the game's finished so they, to see the result. So this wasn't for him. Of course, this was for the club. I mean, you think of it from a, from a defensive standpoint. Um, and, and my partner, Steve Jolly, always says this because he was a defender when he played in the league. Your first responsibility as a defender is to try and make sure there's a zero mm-hmm. on one side of the scoreboard. But when you do score, I've never he's been ecstatic the last couple of games because you've got Connor scoring against Cincinnati. Yeah. Amro scores against Los Angeles. Does it does it allow the two of you guys or maybe the defensive unit as a whole? Can you can you go out and, during the practice field? Can you talk a little trash? Now all of a sudden you're now all of a sudden you're an offensive-minded player because a couple of these goals have come via the back line. Yeah, so I think my goal, like Connor's goal, is is different. Also with the formation we play, so it allows uh, left wings or left backs to go forward, and we have a lot of forward duties. But mine was from set pieces, and as I said after the game, we really practice set pieces a lot, and it's important thing for our team. 
and uh, yeah of course my first job is is to have a zero and I would prefer to have a zero than score a goal but it also it was very nice to score very nice feeling to score against a big team and to win three points and I'm part of this I think we have to make a rule that if you guys have a shutout that you can do the knee slide at the end of the game just because there's a zero. Yeah, maybe you should like have I mean, more fun having shutouts. You so should be able celebrate. to celebrate yeah, the shutout exactly. as much as you should the goal, yeah, right? I think all the shutout feels good, very good for the for the whole team and for the defenders, especially for defenders and goalkeepers. So, and it's a big thing in in our team to always try to have a shutout. So you mentioned growing up in Egypt. Um, and, and on these segments with, with the players and our Players Only podcast, we like to try and talk to everybody about their road to where they are right now. And yours as interesting probably as anybody that we've had on so far. You say grew up in Egypt, which obviously is correct, but born in the United States, born in Los Angeles, but moved to Egypt yeah. at a pretty young age. What, what, what do you remember of that time, that, those, that transition? So, I... I went back to Egypt. I was nine months, so I don't remember anything. You're not course. remembering much of Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. So my father was, uh, he's a professor in college and he was doing his PhD in, in LA with my mom. So I was born there, luckily. I'm very happy, you know, to, to be a US citizen. It helped me a lot since I'm very young to leave Egypt in a young age. So uh, I grew up in Egypt. My both parents are Egyptian, so. Grew up in Egypt. Got your soccer start, though, really, when you think of it, in Germany. You made that transition pretty pretty young, right? Going over to Germany and, and yeah. trying to try your hand at being a professional soccer player. Yeah, so I started, of course, in Egypt, and uh, I started in my hometown. Uh, and then when I was uh, 17 years old, my dad wanted to help me to, to get better and to play in another level. And he brought me to Germany to go on a trial in a small team. It's called Magdeburg. So I went there, I spent two weeks with them, and then I played with them for one season, uh, under-19 Bundesliga. It was a very good year for me. Then a uh, very good club uh, signed me, it's Freiburg and then Wolfsburg. So it was, you know, a lot of moving in young age by myself. So I'm, I'm happy that I did this and my father gave me a chance and let me go in this young age because this wasn't easy at all for them and for me. When you think of it, what is it like to be American-born, growing up in Egypt, playing soccer in Germany? Because it's it, it's it's got to be in a way yeah. like w- worlds colliding. Because not only are you thinking about growing up and moving from teenager to adulthood, trying to figure out a professional soccer career, but now probably pretty comfortable in Egypt you make a move to Germany, which is obviously known as one of the best soccer slash football playing countries in the entire world. Yeah, I think, uh, of course, it was very difficult for me. I couldn't speak the language. Uh, I was very young. I was by myself. My salary was very little just for living. So I had some like difficult moments, but I think these moments helped me to, to grow up faster, to be more mature and I think that's why I'm here right now. When you think of it, then you make the move from Germany and you go back mm-hmm. to Egypt. Um, why did you make that decision? Because I would think for a lot of players, once they're in Germany, they don't want to go. They don't want to go back to where they started. But for you, maybe it was the it was the right move and the right time. 
Well, when I did this move, I really thought it's a very bad move, and I actually was forced to do it. And you know, in 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 your story or your in your career, there's a lot of ups and downs. And at this point, before I go to Egypt, I really thought I'm going to stop playing football because I was in Wolfsburg, I was do- doing very good, but I wanted to play like first team very quickly. I was in the second team. I was turning 20 or 21, I guess. So I I didn't ha- I I wasn't patient at all. So something happened with the agent. He he found a club for me in Croatia and he asked me to to break my contract and I did it without making sure to sign the other contract before. So I break my contract with Wolfsburg, which the people were very surprised and I was like I don't want to stay here. I just want to leave and I didn't even tell them where I'm going. So it ended up me I'm going to Croatia and there was nothing there was it only have to stay was like for two weeks a trial which i refused and my agent refused and out of a sudden you see yourself without a contract without a club like in end of august so there is no even time for that transfer so it was very tough moment for me in my career and then a german coach called me he knew about me uh, his name is reinhard sobel he was playing in bayern munich he's very famous in germany and he was coaching an egyptian team and he called me and said i want you to to come play with me and you're going to make it again back to Europe and actually I had no other choice so I just went back and it was like one of the best two years of my life probably in a way as you, as you describe it thinking about am I going to keep playing that move back to Egypt and having the connection with a German coach who was in Egypt probably saved your career this is really saved my career he changed my position I was left back he changed my position also to a center back and this was like really one of the best two seasons of my life. It was my first professional year as first team player. I played just one and a half seasons, not even two seasons. And then Real Betis from Spain bought me right away. So sometimes you think it's a bad thing, but then you realize maybe it was the best move you did. And also give me a, like a background in Egypt because I left in a young age and no one knew about me. And when I went back and then start to prove myself in the Egyptian league, then everyone start knowing about me. And this is also good for the national team. So they followed me after I left again. Amro Tarek joining us here on our Players Only podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like, review us, whether you listen to us on Apple, on Google, on Stitcher. We've got the captain, Luis Robles, coming by in a little bit as well on this May edition. Um, Amro, let's talk a little bit about Major League Soccer for you. You're here, and I think, enjoying and fitting in real well with the New York, New York Red Bulls. Everybody remembers maybe last season with Orlando. Most people probably forget that you had an opportunity with Columbus a few years ago mm-hmm. that, that didn't really work out the way that I'm sure you had hoped, maybe your agent had hoped, your family had hoped. Um, I, I was almost surprised when I went back over and kind of looked where you've been and, and when, that when you were with Columbus, then you had to leave again, go back, to return in Orlando. What do you remember in 2016 being being with the crew and having that opportunity? Yeah, so I was, uh, first I started the season with Real Betis in Spain when after they bought me from Egypt. And of course it was like a big move for me going from normal club in Egypt to, to the best league in the world. So uh, I didn't play in the first six months and then I thought, okay, I need to go somewhere to have like playing time, and then I had a lot of I had of several offers from from America, from MLS, because I'm U.S. citizen, so it makes it very easy. So I chose to go to Columbus after I spoke with the coach. It was Greg Berhalter at this time. We had a good conversation. He told me I'm gonna give you playing time, and 
then I said, okay, so I went there. The, the year before, they just made the MLS final. And I understand there is no need to change the formation right away when you have like one of the best years of, of, of the club history to make to the final of the MLS. So I wasn't also patient, but I was kind of angry because he knew that I didn't play for six months in my Spanish team and the, my club sent me on loan to get minutes, not to, to just be on bench. So I said like first four or five months no, sorry, four five, first four or five games on the bench. Just played, I think, came in one game. So then me and my agent, we spoke and we decided we want to break the loan and we spoke with him and I break the loan and went back. And then um, after going back home and then coming back again to Orlando on another loan mm-hmm. opportunity, yeah. did, you, did you think to yourself, I already did this. I was already in the States. I already was in Major League Soccer. I'm not sure that I want to do it again. Wh- what about the move to Orlando City felt different than the move to Columbus? So I, I left Columbus and I really wanted to come back because I saw the league, I really liked it. I saw the level, I knew I can play here easily in any team. So when I left Columbus, it was just because I didn't play and I was kind of angry. So when I came to Orlando, I really wanted to come back and I was very, about, very happy about it and very sure that once they give me a chance to play that I'm gonna do well. And then you and then you go through the last season with Orlando, which was probably frustrating because the team had their struggles um, during the course of the off season in in this past off season in December before the change of the new year of 2019. You get word that you're coming to New York um, and going to be a part of the Red Bull organization. Obviously, you knew CJ coming mm-hmm. from Orlando to here. Was there any? concern for you making that move from Orlando to New York or, or did it feel natural and positive right away? So of course it felt felt great so it was like planned with my agents it was it, it's not like I just found out that I got traded there was like some negotiation and speak before because I was just on loan to uh, to Orlando so uh, I was very happy to of course to be with such a big organization like Red Bull and very big team successful team so I think it was a very good move for me and then you think of it through the first couple of months of the season and I say this because you've mentioned it a couple times you've been frustrated at maybe some of your stops along the way because you haven't gotten a ton of playing time everybody wants to play and here in New York you, you probably had to make that adjustment and learn the system get the tactics down I know the last couple of games with the formation change, you've been you've been playing a ton. But what about the first couple of months here with New York? Was it frustrating to maybe not be as involved as you would have hoped? So before you go to a club, you really like you have expectations and you know what you you're gonna go through. So I before I come here, I know it's also the team that won the supporter shield, two defenders who are playing best two defenders in the league. So I know it's gonna take some time. But I really believe that with hard working and trying to learn the system and adjusting to the team that I'm going to have my chance. So I knew before I come, it might take time. That's why I wasn't frustrated. Do you feel like with uh, the change the last couple of games, playing the three in the back, what, what's the relationship that you have with Tim and Aaron? And, and I say that because those two guys developed such a, a good partnership last season, playing together, winning the supporter shield, um, being generally regarded as maybe the best back line in, in Major League Soccer after the 2018 season, what's it like to be? What's it like to be the new guy? Yeah, I think it feels good. It feels good to to be part of the best back line in the league. 
and to play next to them i'm i'm very happy and uh of course i have to do my best to to help them too so i think it feels good you think uh changing gears a little bit before we wrap up i think i'd be remiss not asking you about what it's like to play for your country what it's like to play in egypt you've had a couple of opportunities i'm sure you're looking forward um to more but it's got to be a really unique place to play because i'm thinking back a couple years ago when Bob Bradley was the coach and there was some some civil unrest basically and you're thinking of playing in empty stadiums and trying to qualify for the World Cup um, for you you've had you've had the chances a couple of times I know you you made your debut in 2017 played um, in the 2019 Cup of Nations soccer in Egypt when you when you think of the global sport it's got to be just so important and massive to be able to put on that Egyptian jersey yeah so in 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 our country soccer is like the main thing in the country like it's people are really crazy about it and playing as a national team is something is really not easy at all and always having the opportunity to be in the game in these games like the biggest dream for an egyptian i guess when you think of it at for for egypt um most recently in the 2018 world cup i mean i think they've always made the argument that in terms of the continent in Africa, they're right towards the top almost every year. Yeah. Um, what's maybe holding them back from, from being a little bit more prominent and, and um, bigger on the world stage? So I think we were, we were having the very right directions like back in 2006 and 8 and 10 when we won the African Cup of Nations three times in a row. But uh, then 2011, we had some problems in the country, like the revolution and the league stopped for a while. And then you can see the league, we played sometimes without no fans. So, of course, the level went down a little bit and we didn't even make to the African Cup for three times in a row. So I think this held us back for a little bit. But now as a new generation, you can see a lot of players who play outside Egypt, play in Europe in a very high level. We made it to the last World Cup. The results weren't bad, but at least we made it after 30 years, almost 30 years without reaching the World Cup. Now we uh, we qualify to the African Cup. It's going to be in Egypt. Our goal also is to win it. So I think we are in, in the right directions. Do you pay attention? And, and I, I, I think I'm saying this the right way because I couldn't find anything to tell me that it wasn't correct. You are the only Egyptian player right now in Major League Soccer. Yes. What's that feel like? Do you feel... Are you carrying the flag? Are you are you lonely because there's nobody else that that can relate to what you're going on? And obviously, Major League Soccer has such an international influence. Yeah. But you're the only Egyptian player in the entire league. Yeah. Last season there were other two players, one in Vancouver, Vancouver. one in LAFC. Yeah. Uh, I'm not feeling lonely because they were they were far anyway. But uh, I hope more Egyptian players come to MLS because we really have good very good players and I think they can fit in the league and we can be more than one Egyptian just in MLS. Do you pay attention to guys that play in other parts of the world? You know, a Mo Salah, do you pay attention to what he does with Liverpool because he's Egyptian? Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm like, we are all, we are, are all friends. We talk a lot and we follow each other, of course, like I always follow the result of the other players who play in Europe or in other leagues, even the Egyptian league. So I, I always watch. One more before I let you go. Um, when you came to New York in the off season, 
center back, maybe left back. I'm going to leave that maybe out of the discussion. I did read as you grew up, you were a striker. Is that correct? No, no, not at all. No, not a striker. I, a forward, know, like a wing. A wing. Yeah, left wing. It's you know, it's when you are young, you you play in different positions. It's it's normal, but I've I've always been like left back or left wing, so it depends on the formation. So I try and bring everything full circle. The goal celebration. You scored a lot of goals when you were a young player. You've just been waiting in Major League Soccer <laughs> to get it back up and going. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to see you continue this year um, as early as Wednesday with Montreal. It's a really busy month of May and a really yeah. important one. I uh, really appreciate you coming by and sharing your story with us and uh, look forward to talking to you later on this season. Thank you so much. Amro Tarek here on our Players Only podcast. We will take a quick timeout. When we come back, we will be joined by the captain, Luis Robles, break down the early part of the season, look ahead to a busy month of May, and catch up with his latest home renovations. Download the New York Red Bulls app today to stay up to date on everything New York Red Bulls. Buy, share, and scan your tickets. Get all the latest news and content and listen to New York Red Bulls radio in English and Spanish. Then flip to arena mode to find concessions near your location and get real-time answers from the Red Bulls chatbot. Available now on iOS and Android or visit NewYorkRedBulls.com for more information. Our May edition of our Players Only podcast here on the New York Red Bulls Radio Network continues. Great spot with Amro Tarek, who talked about his journey from uh, so many different spots between Egypt and Germany, back to Egypt, stops in Columbus. Uh, if you're just joining us here on the second half with Captain Luis Robles, don't forget to go back and listen to that first part. Uh, Luis, I, I want to bring you in and, and talk to you about a guy like Tarek, who the last couple of games has been really important with the formation change that you guys have had, playing the three in the back, um, and and being, and I asked him this, being kind of a new guy in this organization, which probably for a lot of players might be difficult because of style of play, because of tactics, because essentially the core group of this team the last couple of years has has essentially been the same. So you guys as veteran older players, you you have to welcome new players in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, th I can only imagine in Armro's situation coming from a team that didn't particularly stand out for positives when it comes to defending goals to a team that led the league and defending goals, having the best goals against average, the most shutouts there. I could see how there's a bit of trepidation, but I think early on, one of the things that stood out about Amro is that he really is a good soccer player. Um, not only is he have, have athleticism and intelligence, but he's just good on the ball. And so I felt right away that he was going to fit right in. Tell me the last couple of games, um, what's been different between Cincinnati, between Los Angeles? I think on the outside, people would say, well, they, they made the, the formation change. They're playing the three in the back or the five in the back. Do you think that's something that as a collective group, was that done because – okay, you're, you're in a bit of a, a rough patch. Let's try something different. Let's try a new mix of players. Let's try something um, from a tactical standpoint that might be different. Or was it not as complicated as that? Because whatever the reason, the results have been there. You've got a couple of wins in a row. No, that's not by accident. <clears throat> I think the tactical change has helped a lot. But what people don't see is the amount of work that goes on in the background. Chris and his staff, they pour over so much video. They're constantly thinking about 
tactics and players and opponents it almost to the point where I wonder if I want to be a head coach I mean it, they just they put a lot of man hours in and some people may just think you show up on game day and you put up a lineup or you throw darts and figure out what it is that you're going to do but not these guys they're so meticulously thought out and so when they felt two weeks ago that we could make that shift to three in the back they they probably saw something in the way that we were playing and things weren't working the way that we had intended and so maybe my, by making this adjustment we could uh, unlock teams better we could find uh, passing lanes we could close down opponents or maybe it was just they saw who was coming up on the schedule for whatever reason they decided to make that change and it's worked out great for us but there's a lot of confidence at least from the player standpoint when the coaches put something on the board because it's not a half thought it's something that they debated they put a lot of conversation a lot of discussion a lot of analytics into and it's worked out great because we have the personnel for four in the back and we have the personnel for three slash five in the back, however you want to play it. And I know that with a three-game losing streak in some other organizations internally, it may seem uh, as if everything is falling apart, but not here. The reason, one, because of the preparation that go that comes from our coaches, it starts at the top and goes down to the bottom. But then also we know that these things happen. And we still have a good a good lineup. We have good roster. We have a good roster. We have good players. And even though it hasn't clicked yet, it's it's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. So I'm glad that it has happened sooner rather than later. You know that that leads me into something I wanted to bring up with you anyway, because I I talk with Chris before every game. We do our our pre match coaches interview, and during that winless streak, I think I I brought up because it was at the top of most people's mind how he's dealing with a three-game winless streak, a four-game winless streak, a five-game winless streak. And he preached confidence. He preached um, a non-panic environment. But I do wonder from a player standpoint for a group that has had so much success over the course of the last three, four, five years, however long you want to go back, that's used to not just winning but winning all the time. Um, where, where you do drop a couple of games, when you drop a game to Orlando or you lose in Chicago, you lose to Minnesota, how much frustration was there? And I'm not saying panic. I'm saying frustration because you're looking around the room and saying this, this doesn't feel right. This isn't what, what we do and this isn't who we are. Well, there definitely wasn't any state of panic. The frustration definitely is real. And the reason I use present is because we're still 3-4-2. and two. It's not as if we have a, a winning record and we're at the top of the table. So even because of the standards that we have internally to give up two goals against Galaxy, we know that we can still be better. And there is a mentality of coming to work each and every day and bringing your best. And it's that sort of preparation that's going to allow us to be successful going forward. But at least from my perspective, I guess since I've been around long enough, but this is also my 14th professional season, I've been a part of bad teams. And with bad teams, when you look at the game and the result, uh, you, you may sometimes just realize you don't stack up against the other team. Not with good teams. Good teams, when you lose, it's it's either it just wasn't your day or there was a mistake. Um, you know, Maybe the approach wasn't correct. And 
And I think we're more on that end where we look at our losses and there were mistakes. There were mistakes on the back. I know the goal I gave up in New England is, is one that you can look at and say, okay, at the very bare, at the very minimum, we walk away with a point, even though we didn't play that well, and yet you give up a goal like that, and you're like, okay, it's just not clicking right now. It's not something that you just erase everything on the drawing board and start at square one. You, you know that it's a progression and it takes time. But it also took me over a decade of, of grooming to get there. It's not, it's not a stage of panic when a mistake happens. And so when I look around at some of the other results and you look at the goals that we conceded, you think, okay, well, this is, this is fixable. This isn't something that you need to tear up and start over again. I think where the coaches were really trying, where they're scratching their heads the most is how do we get the offense going? And so it is really good to see in the last two games that we have scored, we've played well defensively, um, this last game for us to score three goals, to be in a situation where we're down and yet we come back, it only breeds a confidence not into what we're doing, but offensively going forward. You just said your 14th professional season. Yeah. And as you said it, I think it, it, it probably clicked in your brain too. Like, I can't believe I'm saying it's my 14th professional season. Does it feel that? Does it feel like it? Yes and no. Uh, I feel great, so it doesn't feel like my 14th professional season. Just, I actually turned uh, <laughs> turn 35 this On week. Saturday? Yeah. I was hoping you were going to bring it up because I didn't want to be the one to say it. Yeah, and when you look at this roster and you look at that number, it's a pretty big number, but I, I feel very confident where I'm at because physically I feel great, and mentally I'm just, I'm in a place that only comes with time. It only comes with experience, the ups and downs. And so 14, it does seem like a big number, but big in the right way because that's, that's just a testament to the, the hard work and the commitment, the sacrifice, and staying true to yourself throughout the process because it's one thing to play professional for a few years, but, I mean, to play for over a decade, for a decade and a half, is, is pretty incredible. And so for me at least, I look and just feel that the, the ride has just been amazing. So it's so different. Right. When you look at the parallel between being a goalkeeper as opposed to a field player, because you could be 16, 17, 18, up to maybe 23. And you feel like, yep, I'm in the maybe the best years. You just said it, it took you a decade to kind of learn maybe who you want to be in the net. Why is it so different that the prime of a keeper is 30 plus? But for most players, other than that, it's under 30. The first thing that comes to mind is experience. Experience plays a huge role in all of that. And yet when I was younger, I, when I heard that bit of wisdom, yeah, you're, a goalkeeper is like a fine wine. They get better with age, and it's in your 30s that you hit your prime. I just think, how is that possible? Like Physically, 18, 20, 22, I'm the fastest, I'm the strongest I think I'm ever going to be. And yet with goalkeeping, because there aren't so many sequences in a game, there aren't as many situations – that you deal with, you you really need time in order to stack up all those experiences. And the real turning point for me was embracing my insecurities. I think as a teenager, there are certain things you can't process, and so what you do is you try to you try to muffle the sound and, and push it down instead of embracing it. I think at 28, 29, I got so comfortable, I became more comfortable in who I am and what I'm not that I started to embrace my insecurities, whether it was as a goalkeeper, or as a professional athlete, or as a person, 
and that allowed me to take the next step forward, which which has been a, a great step. So in that, and and we've talked about this on on some different levels over the course of the last couple of years when we've done things like this, longer interviews. In that stage of your career, when you just said you're maybe feeling insecure, who did you turn to to maybe bring you back full circle? Was it college coaches? Was it another professional keeper? Was it somebody that we don't even we wouldn't even know if we saw him in a huge crowd of people? Well, I've always been I'm very fortunate because I've always had great people surrounding me, whether it's my parents or my pastors or friends or my coaches. And yet it was right around 28 when I was going through a difficult situation. Just everything in my life felt like it wasn't working out. Um, Things in Germany didn't end that well. My dad was sick. My father-in-law was sick. I just was at a real standstill. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. And, and then even when we're trying to come to MLS, it wasn't that easy to make our way back over. And and yet through all of it, I just found a real peace. And in that moment of, okay, well, even if, even if it doesn't work out for me and my career is done as a professional, I still could see my inner circle and these people who love me and support me. And, and probably as shallow as it sounds for the first time, I realized that they didn't just like me because I'm good at something. They didn't just support me because I am a professional soccer player. They really just support and love me and pray for me because they, they're my friends or my family. And and I think that was the first step. I don't think that's something I could be cognizant of. It just was one of the things that you roll with. And when I came to the New York Red Bulls, because I was going through that own personal experience, I felt like I was open to advice and I met one new person and I started having different conversations with an older person that really unlocked the mental part of my game. The first is my father-in-law. He, he was just instrumental in allowing, in helping me embrace those insecurities. And then the second is, is a sports psychologist named Mark Segal. And really meeting him was by happenstance. I showed up to the New York Red Bulls and there was this guy walking around who spoke with the players every once in a while. And, and in the very beginning, I definitely had this approach of, oh, I don't really need to talk to this guy. And yet when we spoke, every conversation was just free flowing. It felt like it was old friends talking. And what I didn't realize, that that's part of his approach. That's his job. That is his job. And and he's been instrumental. He, Some of the advice that he gave early on, and he still continues to reiterate when I do have uh, a bit of a muddled perspective on what's going on, really is proven to be the sort of wisdom that's allowed me to take a bigger step in my game, which is crazy because you think you put in all the training, put in all the fitness, everything that you need to do. And yet the last frontier in my game was actually the mental part. And so these two people ended up being, they played pivotal roles in in allowing me to be the goalkeeper that I am today. He is the captain, Luis Robles, joining us on our May edition of Players Only on the New York Red Bulls radio network. Don't forget to hit subscribe, like, give us a review wherever you do listen to us. Uh, Luis, you know, social media can be a good and a bad, I'm sure, for anybody, but certainly as a professional athlete. But I, I know for you, family is so important. And I have noticed, and you've been pretty open talking about it, the um, appearance of your dad around a little bit more. Um how has that been, and, and and from a perspective of obviously wanting to spend time with them, getting him involved with your own with your own kids, it's it's been a little different this year because it seems like he's a bigger presence and around more. 
Yeah, so last year we couldn't convince him to come. Well, my dad's 88. Um, he, I knew early on that my dad So there's only was, so much you're going to tell him what's yeah, happening. Yeah. I, I knew early on when I was 8, 9, 10 years old that my dad was older than my friend's dad. So he didn't wrestle with me. There was a lot of things that, that younger dads would do with their kids that he just didn't do. But also I benefited, even though he didn't do those things, the benefit I got is he's just wise. He's very wise and and sometimes that wisdom would rub me the wrong way because I would just think this guy is just trying to hold me down. And I'd always talk about, I was very open about my dreams. Uh, even at eight, nine, 10 years old, I want to be a professional athlete. At that time, I was going to be a professional baseball player. And then at around 13, 14, when that transitioned to I want to be a professional soccer player, he just always had a great way of not necessarily, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, extinguishing my dreams or just giving me a dose of reality like you can't do that but he would check your reality absolutely absolutely he'd always say reach for the stars but keep your feet on the ground and i always felt that this is what he's trying to do he's just trying to keep my feet on the ground he's not letting me spread my wings and fly and as as tacky as that sound that's just how i felt and yet as years go by just all the little pieces of information that he gave me turned out to be monumental in my development as a person and so where he's at physically, there are limitations. And Arizona is a pretty long flight to New Jersey. So even in 2017, towards the playoffs, I really wanted him to be here. And, and he just, he's had knee replacement surgery. He's had hip replacement surgery. Um, he's dealing with some all sorts of different ailments. And yet his mind is sharp and... <laughs> You know, watches every single game. He lets me know about. He gives me a scouting report for each game on the next next opponent. He tells me stats I didn't even know existed. So he's he's very into it, and and he's always been that way. No matter what sport I was playing, uh, at what level, and and one of the, my favorite memories when it comes to soccer is at the end of each youth soccer game. He was always there. He was always at every single game. He would just give me a big hug, and he wouldn't critique me. He wouldn't say anything about the game. It was simply. Um. I love you. And it was just one of those hugs that you felt uh, in the purest form of, of I love you. And, and the reason I bring that all up is because um, as strange as to say that, I, I don't know. I don't know how many more years he has left. And um, you can take a minute. For a person who's been so instrumental in your development as a person. You want them to be there when it all pans out. And so even now, this is my 14th professional season. He's seen a lot of seasons. He's seen a lot of successes. And yet, more than anything, the person I want to be there is my dad. So this year during preseason in Tucson, I made a deal with him. I said, I'm going to find you the best flight possible. I'm going to pay for your flight. Just come out and watch because I want you to be around. I want you to be around for our kids, for your grandchildren. But more than anything, everything that I am today is because of you. And so the last two games, it's been great that he's been able to be there. And, yes, it includes a wheelchair. And, yes, it means that we have to plan because it takes a long time to get anywhere. And it's had its challenges, but – Man, it's it's such a proud feeling as a as a son 
to be able to play on that stage and to play well and to have your dad there? I can't tell you as, as you're talking um, and tearing up, I, I am too, and I can relate. I, and I'm on the other side of it. I, I lost my dad about a decade ago and he was by far and away the most influential person that existed in my life. And those little pieces of wisdom and conversations that I had with him growing up, I don't have them anymore, but I still remember them. So they, they are, they, it becomes a big part of you and it becomes part of, of who you are. And I love the fact that I've seen him, um, around the stadium wheelchair or not, he's there and he's part of your life. And he's part of now probably even as important for you. He's part of your kid's life now, even more so. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember when I was, a. I was a younger kid and, and I just, my, my prayer would be that my dad lives long enough to see me succeed. And throughout time, those prayers change. And now it's, I want him to be long enough to, to see my kids grow up. And, and now jokingly enough, it's be around long enough to see my brother get married. Um, but anyways, it's is he been, engaged yet? No, no. So he's on the clock. Yeah, he is on the, he's clock, on the clock, but it's been so much fun having him around. We just have him posted up in the house and, and though he doesn't move much for the day, the kids love having him around. And uh, it's really been truly special having him. All right. So when we talked in Florida, you were on episode one of our Players Only podcast. And, and you were detailing and you just said he's at home. Is the house complete? Because when, when Amro was getting off and I was bridging into you, I mm -hmm. said, we'll get an update on the home renovations. Yeah, I don't know if it's ever complete. The inside is done, and we love it. It it came out so much better than we had anticipated, and we're still dealing with some of the messes, meaning that still going through furniture and putting stuff away and figuring out what we need to keep and get rid of. Uh, the outside landscaping needs to be done. But, man, it is, it's been a great move for us. Our neighborhood, there's so many kids. There's so many Red Bull fans in the neighborhood. Uh, we, we really love um, the town of Ridgewood, and, and even – couple weeks ago the um the elementary school that my son goes to they're participating in the red bulls reading program and so they asked if i would be the assembly speaker to introduce the program where they three they read three books and they get a free ticket to see a red bulls game this summer and i thought man what a cool privilege like what what an awesome privilege i'm i'm able to to experience through playing for the new york red bulls and being able to, to stand there in front of all these kids and Crazy enough, there's so many kids that, that love the Red Bulls and they follow the team, and and they were just thrilled to to find out that there's a, a New York Red Bull player in their town. So it's it's been a great move for us. My wife loves it. The community has been amazing. So we're hoping that we get to be there for a long time. You'll learn, as most married men do, it never stops. It's <laughs> never complete. There's always something to do. And with kids, the inside will will never be complete because you'll always walk into another uh, mess without question. Yeah, I believe you. Um, let's finish with a, with a quick on-field thing. Um, the way that the season has gone so far, it's had its, its ups and downs. I think the best way to describe the first almost third of the season has been, has been strange um, because there's been missing pieces. There's been the Champions League. Uh, there's been some injuries. But now in this month of May, as you guys wrap up this three-game homestand before going on the road, uh, but a lot of home games in May overall, Steve and I made the point before the Galaxy game the other day where, yep, you're probably thinking of things more critical in August and September, but the way the schedule is, this entire month of May 
even going into the beginning of June, June 1st, which is Real Salt Lake, this is huge for you guys to really, I say turn it around, not that it's been backwards, but turn it around and be consistent and feel good about where you guys are into what will be a probably weird month of June because of the Gold Cup, because of players coming in and out. So this this next 31 days is really important. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think May could prove to be a huge moment or a huge month in our season. Now, the other thing about being around so long is you also see how the MLS season plays out. There are so many teams that come out of the, out of the gate flying, and yet in September, October, they can't buy a win. So you also, on the other side of the coin, don't want to get too crazy where things are you know, working out for you, where it's not panning out. The thing that I find a lot of confidence with is we have a staff that's committed to getting the best team out there. So that means if they have to add pieces, they will in the transfer windows in the summer, whatever. But beyond that, we, we have a good team. It's not as if we've lost so many pieces from last year, a year in which the team set the MLS single season record for points. Sure, losing Tyler is a big loss, and yet we've been able to replace him by committee. And even going into the season, we felt that we, – I mean, we knew it's going to be a loss, but we felt like we have players that can step up. And there's always going to be transition. There's always going to be this. There's always going to be that. Atlanta struggled a bit. Kansas City struggled a bit. And you know those guys in the end are going to be a part of it. The last couple of years, Seattle, Toronto – there's something to be said for teams that have long seasons. And this is something that gets constantly overlooked because I think from a macro level, you just dissect each season as a season. But uh, I mean, I'm sorry, from a micro level. But from a macro level, what you don't see is what sort of rest players are getting and what sort of shape they're in. But because we do have top players, we have quality players, they will bounce back. Sooner or later, they will find their groove. And because we have great coaches, they will find what works best for this team. So it hasn't been a great start, but it also hasn't necessitated any sort of panic. I think we're in a great place right now because a lot of guys have gotten minutes. Some guys have made that transition. Guys are finally finding their feet. And May could prove to be a very, very important month for us. And I feel that it sets up well for us because we do have so many home games and we have to take advantage of those home games because come the back end of the season, if you're in the in the if you're in that sort of run of form, then you are gonna feel pressure. Then you are gonna feel a little bit of panic. So if we can have a strong month of May, we can right the ship and that gives us something to build off of going into a very congested July and August. Luis, always appreciate you coming by. Um, number one, talking about the on-field stuff, but always the off-field stuff. I mean, you, you, you're an open book, and that's why we love having you, you come on um, and spend some time with us. Love seeing your dad around. Love the, love the story. Um, love all of it. So, as always, appreciate your time, and thanks for coming by. Yeah, thank you. And I have to say that since you did mention it, my favorite moment so far is when I included that on my Instagram story, my youngest M just pushing this guy around in a wheelchair. I mean, I'm sure my dad doesn't love being in a wheelchair, but the kids think it's so much fun that they get to push grandpa around. It's like a little cart that they just get to take him from spot to spot. Um, Want to thank, obviously, Amro Tarek for coming by in the beginning of our segment, the Captain Luis Robles, Gordon Stevenson, our technical man. I'm Matt Harmon from the New York Red Bulls Radio Network. This wraps up our May edition of Players Only. We'll see you at the arena. Busy month of May. NewYorkRedBulls.com, the spot for more information.